The call on the ice stands. We got to go. Up the colors. We are set to go. Let's roll, boys. Come on, let's get going. We are kicking. Here we go. Oh, guys, five minutes each for fighting. Watch the blue. Play the puck. Run to it. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Yeah, baby. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. Okay, gentlemen, play ball. Let's go. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. Josh, I want to tell you that this week, Tylenol was announced as an official partner of the NHL. Now, this is not really part of the agreement and the deal, but it got me thinking this might be the referee sponsor patch that we've been talking about for a couple of years now. Hey, if, if you don't like the calls that we're making and it's giving you a headache, we've got a cure. It's right here. That is brilliant. It's it's a good one because now we've got a relationship there and it's not necessarily as potentially offensive as the eye doctor's office or the legal firm or the bail bondsman might be where it's a little more questionable. Tylenol. I think we can all agree sometimes the officiating and sometimes the players give the officials headaches. This is the way to solve that issue. <laughs> and this is the Scouting the Refs podcast. Please make sure you, you follow us on our social channels. You get Josh on X and Instagram at Scouting the Refs. You get me on X and Instagram at Todd Lewis Sports. Coming up on this week's episode, an actual slew foot. Maximum six per side, please. PWHL has an all-female officiating crew, and video review is under review. I think that's gotten the most discussion so far this week. Let's let's save that for uh, for a little bit. But yes, credit to the PWHL first all-female officiating crew. I'm glad to see this that we're we're going to have all-female officiating crews at times in this league as well. Yeah, it's a great officiating lineup that they have. I know they've they've been working on pulling officials in from the AHL, USA Hockey, Hockey Canada, plenty with junior hockey experience, international experience. And when they can do it, when you can have an all-female crew, we had Chelsea Rapin, Samantha Hiller, Stephanie Gagnon, and Aaron Zach working the game. So it was great to see Toronto versus New York with an all-female crew for an all-female hockey game. I'm sure it'll happen again. We've seen usually two and two, or we've had three women working with uh, another male official, but something that the PWHL, I'm glad to see them doing it, but I'm also glad that they didn't ascribe to just having female officials. They wanted to have the best officials they could have working these games. That's why they're working so closely with the AHL. So great to see them getting officials, not only at that level, but when they can put the crews together like this, that they're doing so. So, uh, you know, great opportunity there. We've seen it in other leagues, expected that it would happen here. Nice to see it in the first week of uh, the PWHL's hockey. I'm thinking that this might also help accelerate having female officials into the National Hockey League with other professional experience like this. I think this could be a, a big benefit there. Hey, we have female officials working the AHL. Samantha Hiller, who worked that game, she's one of them. So they're getting that experience at the minor level. They're getting at the AHL level. Just more professional experience, more time on the ice at higher levels. It all contributes to getting officials ready to work the NHL. So I, I really think it is just a matter of time. We've seen plenty of good officials, great skaters, which is something the NHL looks for. So is it next season? I don't know. It, it, perhaps it will be, and I hope so, because I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Also, let's give uh, stick taps to linesman Steve Barton, who got clipped with a high stick in the Vancouver Canucks New York Rangers game, and he kept going. Grabs a towel to deal with the bleeding. He did have to leave for a little bit, but good for Steve Barton, who kept going and working in this game. Yeah, took high stick. He was right alongside the bench. A stick clips him up high. He finishes the play. He grabs the towel, makes the bloody call with the whistle and the towel and everything else, and goes off for repairs. 
that's one of those moments where his partner, linesman Shandor Alfonso, is is straddling both lines and he's got to hold down the fort. But man, Martin got patched up, got stitched up and was back out there for the second period. Still bleeding a little bit, as you can see, but he was back out on the ice. Yeah, that's that's the way it works in hockey. OK, I, I, I don't recall ever having seen this before. And I think I sent you a text message about it, as a matter of fact. There were we see too many men on the ice penalties fairly regularly. I do not recall previously seeing two, too many men on the ice penalties. One called for each team. It happened in the Boston-Colorado game. Both the Bruins and Avs got dinged for the same call on the same play. How strange is this? It's uh, it's strange. It's a, it's a coincidence. It's not usually an intentional thing that you're looking at. You've got your linesman. You've got Johnny Murray. You've got Andrew Smith watching the benches on the change as they're trailing the play. You've got the referees looking at the guys on the ice. And you probably have one of them looking more closely at the near bench. So one of the guys is watching Boston. One of the guys is watching the Avs. And during that that messy change, you end up with guys that are beyond that buffer window when they're leaving the ice and somebody's coming on. But I have to say, Todd, if, if it was one official who saw them both happening, you're probably going to let it go. You're going to say, hey, this was a really messy change. I'm not going to blow the whistle. I'm going to warn both benches afterwards. You know, keep the keep the line changes a little bit tighter. You guys were a little messy there. I, I was about to blow the whistle because no harm, no foul. In this case, I think you've got one guy on each end of the ice who's seeing what's happening and watching these guys as they enter the play or interact with each other. Remember, too many men doesn't require that they actually play the puck, just that they influence the play on the ice, which could be body checking. It could be body positioning. And when you've got too many guys out there and you've got the officials watching from their respective sides, hey, Referee number one calls it. Referee number two calls it. They come together and, well, we're going to even it up on both sides. It was too, too many men. It was the right call, but it was really weird because you you wouldn't think that you'd seen it. It's the eighth time in NHL history that we've had too many men called on both teams at the same stoppage. And the first time in nearly 20 years. Last time it happened, 2006, Edmonton against Colorado. Wow. Unbelievable. Okay. So again, not, uh, it, it comes around with the frequency of Halley's Comet is basically what you're saying. So, okay. Uh, in uh, Nashville's, uh, Phil Tomasino was tossed out of a game versus the Calgary Flames after being penalized for, wait for it, slew footing Calgary defenseman Dennis Gilbert. Tomasino delivers a hit along the boards, uh, kind of appears to sweep his foot under Gilbert. The refs, Jean Hébert, Frederick Lecouillet, take a look at video, confirm the call. It was an actual slew foot call. I'm pleased that it was called, but I don't think it's even the worst slew foot I've seen this year. It's not. And, uh, you know, there are, there are situations where we've seen that more forceful upper body pushback that causes it. But even just sweeping the legs to cause the player to fall backward can be justified with the call for a slew foot. It's a dangerous play. It's one that causes injury. So the right call, uh, like I said, you don't have to have that upward push backwards, depending on the player's momentum and the body positioning, sweeping the legs out and, and causing the player to fall backwards. It's textbook slew foot. So good call on the play. And, and once again, a scary situation where you've got a guy injured because, man, when you're coming down like that on the back of your head, it's a very, very dangerous move. So glad to see he was tossed from the game. It also got you looking up the stats of the NHL as we're about at the halfway point of this NHL regular season. And one note that you came up with, match penalties are up this season. Nine of them have been issued so far. I I'm, I'm guess I'm not surprised that they're up, but that seems like it's up significantly. It is. We're almost, uh, we're, we're basically double where we were last year. All of last season, there were 10 match penalties called. 
So far this year, we've got five for illegal checks to the head, two for slew foot and two for cross checks. And, uh, you know, we can remember some clear ones that were intent to injure that it was a no brainer for that one. But the illegal checks to the head, it's nice to see the calls up. That tells me that officials are getting more comfortable with the match penalty review protocol because they have at their disposal the opportunity to review a match penalty. It's actually required that they take a look at a match penalty and evaluate if it should be a match penalty or if it should be reduced. So maybe in years past, you were hesitant to call that match penalty because you weren't 100% sure. Now with the ability to review it, I think officials are more comfortable with issuing that match penalty, knowing they'll get a second chance to take a look at it. So you've got these dangerous plays that are apparent and you know maybe i'm more likely to whistle that penalty i can check i can see what happened and find out you know should this really be a match should this guy be tossed for the game instead of erring on the side of the non-call it's all about getting the call right and i think that's what everybody wants so if it takes a second to do a video review of a penalty in this case i think everybody's okay with the review would you agree yeah i think that the reviews for these i I can't see anybody complaining. I know we've had complaints about video review in general, but when it comes to the major penalties of the match penalties, the idea of getting the call right is, is really why we're taking a second look. It's such an impactful play. You're looking at a five minute power play. You're looking at a potential ejection, depending on the call that's being made. So you want to make sure the officials are getting it right. It's, it's, a good opportunity. I think this is where the league's comfortable when it comes to video review is to say majors and match penalties are so important. They're so impactful on the game. Let's make sure they get them right. And I think it also gives an opportunity too, beyond just the review piece is that we're by getting these calls, right? They're educating the players. They're educating the coaches on where the line is for, look, this isn't a match penalty because we missed it or because we happened to call it on the ice. We took a look at it. We are a hundred percent sure that this is deserving of a match penalty. So I think it makes it a lot clearer on where the line is for what should be a match penalty. And I think players adapt. We talked about how many match penalties have been called this season. There have been nine, but seven of them came in October and November. So I think we're seeing that players are learning, like, where is the line for the match penalty? How much can I get away with here? And when it comes to illegal checks to the head, what are they going to allow and not? And not just based on a snap judgment, but based on an actual video review to confirm that call. Where video review does get scrutinized is when video review scrutiny takes an extended period of time, shall we say, as did occur in the Edmonton and Chicago game this past week. Leon Dreisaitl is collecting the puck along the blue line after Darnell Nurse sends it up and over in his direction. Dreisaitl then flings the puck over to Connor McDavid, who sends it to Zach Hyman, who scores. Wait, wait, wait. Apparently, everyone in the city of Toronto stopped by the NHL video review to have a look at this one before the call was finally made that Dreisaitl does not have possession and therefore it is no goal. So, of course, everyone wants video review abolished again. I think there's a compromise to be made here somewhere. I think there is. And before we talk about the compromise, I'll just talk about the call itself. That This is a tough one because we're looking at Dreisaitl putting himself offside on the play. You can cross the blue line ahead of the puck, provided you have possession and control of the puck. Let's not mix this up with the Kale McCarr play, which is a delayed offside where McCarr was onside, but he was waiting for a player to tag up and then touch the puck. Totally different situation. This is Dreisaitl putting himself offside. He doesn't have possession. He doesn't have control. He's swinging at a bouncing puck. Yes, he touches it. That's not enough to give him control of the puck. And that's what the NHL ruled on this play. So he puts himself offside and it's no goal. Now, as far as the time it takes to do it and the angles, 
Oh man, I, I, I can see that it's a, a very frustrating situation, especially when you're trying to look at it from every possible viewpoint, but I don't know, Todd, it, where do we want to go to say this is close enough? I mean, it, anywhere there's close enough, there's always going to be a line. Some folks have argued of not on the rush or, or let's 30 seconds after the zone entry, or if it's close to the blue line, but at some point you're taking a black and white rule. The puck is either over the line or not over the line. And you're adding some sort of either judgment or gray area to what is a black and white rule and one that the NHL is committed to getting right. The other part of this is there's a judgment in whether or not the player has possession. In this case, I agree with you. Leon Dreisaitl does not have possession of the puck. So that is one decision that has to be made in terms of the, of the play. Yes, it's either across the line or it's not. And everybody is fine to say, well, you know, it's close enough mm -hmm. until it's in the playoffs and it goes against your team and it costs you a game or a series or even more. And that's when people will really flip out. Absolutely. And I think this is one that once the NHL introduced it, the, the, the genie is out of the box. You can't go back and say, we're okay with not getting it right some of the time. They're not going to say, hey, we put this rule in place. We put video review in to make sure we're getting the offside calls right, however long it takes us. There's really not an appetite from the league to say, we're okay with getting it wrong if we do it in a shorter time frame, or we're okay with getting it wrong if it's close, but still wrong. They want to get it right, and I don't see them ever backpedaling from that. And and to your point, Todd, even as we as we get tech advancements and puck tracking to tell us when the puck crosses the blue line and where the player's skates and stick are, this particular offside still comes down to a judgment call because I don't see AI or technology telling us whether or not Dreisaitl has possession and control of the puck. That's going to come down to a human making that call. Yes, absolutely. You're right about the the technology and uh, right video angles and the like playing a role. And that leads to the Flyers and Canadiens matchup that it took a while to determine whether or not Ryan Paling had scored. You look at one a camera angle and it says, yeah, it looks like the, uh, the puck did not cross the line. But then, oh, wait a minute. There is a definitive <laughs> angle that shows, yes, the puck does cross the line. So, yes, we can make this our weekly call for, for puck tracking to help with this. But, uh, again, technology is not going to solve every issue. It's not. It, it would have helped on this one. And I think this is another situation where they got the call right. It's so hard to see. And, I, you know, I'm not going to fault Paling for celebrating here. But you look at the different angles and, and what's available and trying to see does the puck clearly cross the line? You've got what five players with skates or bodies in the crease there. You've got guys blocking the goal line, but you can see on this angle from the overhead, you'll see that the puck hits the goalpost and moves laterally parallel to the goal line, which keeps it out of the net. So I, I think it's a good call. Obviously, technology would have gotten that one right immediately. We wouldn't have had to worry. We wouldn't have even needed to do a review because we would have known that the puck didn't cross the line. But I, I think, Todd, even... If the puck goes in here, this is no goal. There's way too much going on in this goal crease. Caden Primo does not have an opportunity to make a save. You've got Joel Farabee there with his skate in the way. And then he looks like he kicks or pushes the goal pad, making some space there to try to get the puck into the net. So I, 
you know, if this one went in, it's still coming back for no goal and so, uh, video so reviews all around. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you're, so here I am trying to make it a, a black and white choice. So, you know, if puck tracking makes it simple and here you are dragging the judgment calls back into it again. And, th and, but that is the difficulty that you're still always going to have judgment calls, whether it's goalie interference or whether a puck was kicked in, unless those rules change. I, I don't see how we do it. And, and folks have talked about, you know, do we go to like the double IHF rules? Do we look at like a player who skates are in the crease before the puck is there? I mean, do we go back to the Brett Hall era of 99 of a skate in the crease? And I don't think anybody wants to do that, but it's, it's those hard and fast rules. It would be potentially easier to interpret, but is that what we want to get out of the hockey games? Do we want those kinds of situations where the play is immediately whistled dead because somebody's in the crease or a goal is invalidated just because somebody was in there, even if they had no impact on the play, it's really hard to get there. And, and that's, the limitation of what technology will do for us is we can have those types of things. We can say, Hey, somebody broke, broke the plane of the goal crease. So we've got to wipe everything out, but I don't think that's what we want. There's always going to be a component that's judging and not necessarily the intent, but judging the actions of the players on the ice. Consistency is what everyone is looking for. And interestingly enough, this past week, John Scott, remember him? Had some oh, comments yeah. on, yeah. All-star, NHL all-star, NHL all-star MVP, <laughs> as a matter of fact. Um, he had some comments on the Department of Player Safety, and again, having to do with consistency. I, I won't give you everything that he said, but some of the highlights include, a hit from behind can be anything. Players just want to know, if I do this, I get X amount of games or penalties. There are players that he feels are taking advantage of the situation by different rulings. If you really want to get rid of the dangerous plays, the hits to the head, hits from behind, and those kind of plays, if you hit anyone on the numbers, regardless of how fast you're going, or if he gets injured, you get a three-game suspension. If you high-stick someone in the face, you get a suspension. So this is basically minimum sentence, no matter the circumstances. This has been talked about before, but I'm, I'm, I'm almost hesitant to say, I think John Scott has a good point here that we need this at some point in the NHL. The NHL Players Association is uh, probably not on board with this one, but from a player <laughs> safety standpoint, uh, this would absolutely make a ton of sense. I know there are certain things that are subject to interpretation. There are certain situations where was this boarding? Was this checking from behind? Was it an illegal check to the head? And we can split hairs over what the specific call should be. That doesn't necessarily matter as much today as it would under Scott's approach, but I don't really disagree with the guy. I mean, if we put a minimum, minimum suspension in there to say a hit from behind, whether checking from behind or boarding, it's, it's three games. I think the league is hesitant to put that in because every play is different and you certainly have different degrees of severity. Look at how we have the different penalties for it. You know, certain situations we're seeing a minor penalty or a major or a match, depending on the, the degree of severity of the contact or the degree of violence of the hit. So I think they don't want to paint themselves into a corner with it. But I don't know that that's the worst thing in the world. If you put it out there and say a hit from behind that causes injury is a minimum suspension, then at least we live with that. And that means players are going to choose wisely when delivering those types of hits. Hey, sorry, guys, these are the rules. A high stick to the face is going to get you a game. Yes, it was accidental. Sorry, it's one game. Keep your sticks down and you'll you'll learn for next time. I think it would be brutal. I think we'd see a whole bunch of pushback. The NHLPA would be furious. Teams would be mad, but the players would learn. 
I, I don't think they'd have any choice but to to learn. And again, this brings in the two things for me. The consistency is that if this happens, you are going to get this penalty. And everyone, again, will look at it and think, oh, that's such a severe punishment. I would rather err on the side of a severe punishment for a hit from behind or a high stick to the head. The... <laughs> The other part is uh, is it, it's the it's the consistency, and it would deter, as you said. Match penalties were up early in the season; they've slowed down since, and I think that would have the same effect. Absolutely, and if if we're looking at it and saying this is a slew foot, a slew foot, you you're earning a match penalty for it, and you're earning a two game a two game suspension for a slew foot. I think it's going to make everybody be a little bit more careful about where they are, where their skates are and what they're doing out on the ice. Like Scott said, you want to get rid of dangerous plays. You have to ratchet up the punishment or, you know, that $5,000 fine isn't really all that meaningful, even to a guy like John Scott. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how this plays out in future discussions and negotiations with CBA and, and all the rest of it. Because I I do think that the players and the Players Association have a have a plan in, in their mind of, we maybe need to deal with and address this, but that's we'll table that for another day. Hey, with, with all their appeals of suspensions that we've seen this season and, and coming back on any suspension that gets offered, they feel like they're doing a lot of sticking up for the suspended players, Todd. Maybe we just, we need them to turn the corner and actually i don't know maybe defend the guys who are getting nailed into the boards or slew footed i i think they their their focus is in the wrong place when it comes to player safety i'm not talking about the league i'm talking about the nhlpa you know what this is all giving me a headache get in the box it's the scouting the refs podcast read more at scoutingtherefs.com follow scouting the refs on twitter instagram and facebook email the show at ref at scoutingtherefs.com subscribe share and keep those sticks down That's good play.